Today's episode is quite honestly different than what I had planned to put out today. And I think sometimes that happens where we have a plan and then God interrupts the plan. And I'm okay with that. It's a little bit more work, but I'm going to be faithful and obedient to what he's called me to do in, in everything, including podcasting. I want to be fully transparent. Um, the Hearing Jesus podcast is a rebrand of a previous podcast I had done called She Hears. And um, I, I needed to fix some things and change some things and really kind of follow after the direction God was calling me to. So that's why it's now called Hearing Jesus. Regardless, last year, the most popular by far series that I did was on church hurt and narcissism within the church. And I did it in response to another podcast. You probably are familiar with it. Christianity Today did it. And it was called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it was in this season of a lot of fallen church leadership. And I did it as a response both to what was going on in our culture and also what I had kind of walked through on my own in the previous couple of years. And in a lot of ways, it was a healing opportunity for me. And I debated whether or not I was even going to publish it on the Hearing Jesus podcast. But as I sat down this weekend to watch the Hillsong documentary, if you've not watched that or kept up with that in the news, it's it's some other really disappointing things that have come out of the church world. Um, A lot of the patterns, a lot of the things I was seeing was very, very familiar, very similar to what we saw in the Mars Hill case and what we're seeing all over. Probably like once a month, we hear another story. So I'm going to go ahead and re-release it, and I do want to just kind of warn you, this is just a little bit of a warning that there might be some things that you could be sensitive to if you've walked through similar things. That being said, I think it's really important to talk about things. The Lord wants to reveal them so that he can heal them. So I hope you'll stay tuned. friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. I know sometimes you doubt if you are truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own. I know that you are praying for a way to know the difference and to be confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word. If you are ready to grow in your faith and your identity in Christ and to confidently step into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, have you been feeling isolated in your walk with God? We have just come out of a long period of quarantine and isolation, and it can sometimes feel difficult to be connected to each other. And in fact, the enemy wants us to feel that way. I want you to realize that there are other believers that are feeling the same thing, longing to feel more connected to not only God, but to each other. I want to invite you over to my free Facebook community where we can connect with each other, talk through some of our struggles, encourage each other, and pray for each other. On Facebook, look for the She Hears Hearing Jesus podcast community page. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. Today we are talking about something been very present in the, at least the Christian media, the last week or so. Um, There is, if you haven't listened to it yet, there is a podcast series that Christianity Today has done called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And let me just say that um, I think they did an excellent, excellent job on it. If you've not listened to that, go ahead and listen to that now before you listen to any more of what I have to say today. 
But what had happened is as I was listening to it, um, it touched on a lot of things that I think are really relevant to the the big church, big C church today. And there was also some things that I felt like really could use some additional insight and some additional discussion around. And one of the things that I think is really important to look at is this idea of narcissism, um, both in the church and outside of the church. I think narcissism is almost like a buzzword right now, uh, thanks to TikTok and some other uh, recent resources that have become available. People are becoming more and more aware. However, we don't really talk about narcissism in the Christian culture. And I decided really to just dig a little bit deeper into this story of Mars Hill and some of the issues that were brought to light with that investigative journalism that they did at Christianity Today. Um, you may be sitting here thinking, why is she talking about this? What what does she bring to the table? Well, if you don't know me, I guess that's a very uh, valid question. I think if you do know me, it makes perfect sense for me to be talking about this. I actually this week, I I, I just kind of did a screenshot of the media from that podcast and I posted it on mine and I got a ton of DMs and just even phone calls of people saying, hey, what do you think about this? I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I am somebody who has been in ministry for a long time. I've worked both within the local church and with global organizations. I have been an author and a speaker. I've worked with lots of different churches and lots of different capacities. And I personally have had three different narcissists um, up close and personal in my life. And because I care about the spiritual formation of people around me, this has been a topic that I have taught on and spoken about and to some degrees written about for quite some time. And I am really thankful actually that this topic is starting to come to light. I think one of the things about, again, another buzzword that we're hearing uh, is quote unquote church hurt is almost the sense of, um, it only happens in mega churches and it only happens with unhealthy leaders and it only happens, uh, you know, with this hidden sin. But I think the reality is, is this is a topic that is far beyond our churches. It is infiltrating politics. It is infiltrating uh, private businesses. Just this idea of narcissism in general is something that we as the body of Christ really need to take a look at. And you know, we, to some degree, we're all narcissists. We all have this tendency to have this self-centered thinking, but I definitely think that it is a tactic that the enemy has used to infiltrate churches and ministries in a way that is almost a silent killer because we don't want to talk about it. And even when we do want to talk about it, it's very, very difficult to talk about, especially with leadership. So today we're going to dive in a little bit, um, I thought perhaps I would just do one podcast that addressed the the whole series, but as I started re-listening to episode one, I have a huge list of things that I think are important to talk about. So what I do want to say is over the last year, I personally have read probably six books on narcissism, and I have come out of a season of just a lifelong 
recognition that I have had uh, different types of narcissists in my life. I think I was raised by a narcissist, so it gave me a propensity towards um, objectifying myself within that specific type of abuse and not setting boundaries and those kinds of things. So actually, I've also been in therapy for it. I have spent a lot of time uh, learning about the intellectual side of it, the behavioral side of it, the spiritual side of it. So I am not a professional on uh, the psychological aspect of narcissism in any way, shape, or form. My background is in spiritual formation, uh, Bible exposition, ministry leadership. However, personally, I can speak to some of these issues in a couple different capacities, both uh, personally and professionally. So all that to say, I have really worked hard at cutting out the narcissists in my life in, a, in an effort to really chase after healthy, appropriate, God-honoring life-giving relationships. And, you know, there was a period of my life where I, I would just feel drained. And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, there are people in your life that are going to fill you up and there are people in your life that are going to drain you. And you need to get to a place where you're seeking to be around the people that fill you up more than you're around the people that drain you. That is a very, very basic way to look at uh, those narcissistic relationships in your life. And that's easier said than done. But I say that from this perspective of this is a subject that has really been a guiding principle for a lot of my life. And so I want to speak to some of those things. And then also, you know, there is a level of obedience that comes when you do any kind of communication type ministry, whether it is speaking or writing or podcasting. For me anyway, um, I'm not just like a content creator. <laughs> you know, I, my goal is to, to know Jesus and to make him known. And my goal is to help you know him and make him known. And so sometimes there are these things that get planted in my spirit and I know that there are things that God wants me to write or speak on. And I have to wait on God's timing for that. This is one of those things that for the last year, I've felt like God has wanted me to speak on or write on, but it hasn't felt like the right time. And I'll tell you, when I started listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, I realized that perhaps the things that I have been sitting on are things that God now wants me to share. And so that's what this podcast is. It's an effort to be obedient, first and foremost, to God. And the secondary goal is to help you avoid or deal with some of these difficult relationships in your own life. Um, where does this fit into my typical content? Well, um, it's different. And if you don't want to listen, feel free to skip ahead to uh, a different episode or to go back to one of my other episodes, you don't have to listen. Um, my hope is that this would be an episode that would bring you value to your life and, um, maybe open eyes a little bit. So with that said, we're going to get started. And again, not all of this is directly from the Mars Hill podcast. Some of this is just from my own personal experience, my life experience. And, um, I, when I talk about narcissism, I do that in the light of 
three different individuals in my life that were definitely narcissistic and perhaps acted differently from one another, but yet there was a common thread of power and control woven throughout. And we're going to kind of get into that too. So I'm not sure how many episodes this is going to be. Um, so kind of hang with me and I'm not even sure what I'm going to call this yet. Um, I'm praying about that, but I thought it would be helpful to kind of just start at, at the the starting point that that they talk about in in the podcast. So, one of the things that um, if you don't know about Marcel, please go listen to that uh, ep- that episode series. But if you don't know, Marcel was a um, large megachurch that dissolved at the hands of a narcissistic leader and. One of the things that I think um, really stood out to me was some of the things that they're saying as far as um, how, how they got there. However, narcissism in general is, I think, an underlying factor in that you hear in all six of those episodes. And while they do say, I think one, some, one individual makes a comment, um, people would rather have narcissists leading their churches than uh, deal with, with the, the unhealthy patterns. I think in general, narcissism is something that becomes the default position. I think regardless of the industry that you're looking at, um, what, there, there are, I think there's like 10 top careers that narcissists tend to settle into. And I was actually really surprised to find that ministry is one of them, but you know, you might find your more typical industries like a, a CEO or, um, a surgeon or, um, uh, an administrator, like a principal at a school or those kinds of things. Um, It's those real leadership heavy type positions that tend to have a lot of narcissism in them. Now, I'm not saying by any way, shape or form that somebody in those roles are narcissistic. However, I think it's a danger to say that narcissism doesn't exist within the church just because it's the church. I think uh, just just like any other industry or any other profession, there is a level of that. Um, and as we've seen. Um, so one of the things they talk about is these patterns of persistent sin, just arrogance, quick temper, domineering leadership, and how those kind of became these red flags within this uh church scenario and how that became so difficult to work under. And I think about this in other relationships. I think um, in personal relationships, patterns of persistent sin are different than individual sins. And not in the sense that, of course, they both separate you from God, but somebody that falls into an individual sin Sometimes that is despite their intention. It's just, you know, evidence of the fallen world we live in. But when there is a pattern of persistence in, um, that's a whole different thing. That That is a measure of character, especially if it is a believer that really does not see this pattern. I think, I think through several relationships in my life, and I think on one hand, if I think about 
the narcissistic relationship. And I think about somebody that has just a pattern of um, being domineering and arrogant and quick-tempered. And then I think about somebody that may have acted in arrogance or maybe have had a temper issue. Um, I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference between somebody that gets angry over a situation, loses their temper, and then later feels bad about it versus the person that just operates in that all the time. And I, and I think if you are somebody that's kind of caught in the middle, the, the thought is that perhaps, you know, as as a neutral party, you could go to that individual and say, Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't really like that. And I don't think you should have acted that way in a healthy individual that would be received. I think of, I think of, um, I mean, I'm under really healthy leadership now, but I think of the leaders that I serve under now. And I think if I went to them and I said, you know what? Um, I really was hurt by the way that you spoke to me, it would be well received and there would be an apology and probably a recognition, and then some sort of work towards a resolution to to hold the, them accountable. In other relationships in my life, I think back to even my childhood, if I were to voice my discomfort at somebody's domineering attitude or their arrogance or their temper, that would only lead to more abuse. That's, I think, the difference between uh, the narcissist and, you know, somebody that's just acting out of sin um, or lack of guarding their heart and giving into to, um, the, the moment. I think in my scenario, if I ever did, like as a child, if I, if I ever did um, voice my discomfort at the inappropriate way I would be treated, um, that would result in more severe punishment. And I think one of the things that I have heard a lot in this last week or so, even from people that have been listening to this, uh, this series is how, how could it get that bad? And if you think about that in terms of a leader that exhibits some of those properties, those unhealthy behavior patterns, there is no difference between a kid that is cowering um, at the, be, because of a, an abusive parent versus a staff member that is afraid to speak up because of this pattern, again, the pattern of persistence in. And so I think it's really easy to sit here and listen to those uh, episodes and think, oh man, well, you know, I don't know why they just didn't say anything, but I think that's kind of what I want to get into. Like, why, why are we not, one of the things I've always said about some of these things, like, um, Ravi Zacharias was another one that we learned about this past year. Um, why are we not examining the reasons why that happened in the first place? Like that sin didn't happen in a vacuum. I think with the Ravi situation, um, you know, if you're not familiar, you can look it up. I think Christianity Today did a piece on it. Uh, lots of lots of people did. But anyway, he he had a series of accusations against him because he owned these massage parlors. And he was, um, as an apologeticist and as a preacher and a teacher and an author, 
who many of my colleagues deeply respected. And, and in fact, some of them are in ministry today because of him, um, or even in seminary studying apologetics because of him. Um, the flip side of that was this sexual abuse that was going on with these massage parlors that he owned and these girls that worked there. And, you know, it's very easy to sit back in my office and look at that story and say, well, how did that, how did that happen? How did, you know, nobody said anything, but yet I also recognize the fact that there is multiple levels of abuse that happen in those types of relationships. And while I have no doubt that there were people in Ravi's life that enabled him, I mean, surely he didn't pay the electric bill himself for all of those massage parlors. He probably had a, you know, an accountant or whatever. There, there's, there's people that support a narcissistic leader in a way that we we can recognize that they they didn't get there on their own, but yet we can we can forget that there are different dynamics at play in the midst of that as well. Um, coming out of several abusive relationships in my past, I remember thinking like, "Yes, this sucks, but what is my alternative?" Because at this moment, um, you know, I have been isolated from a support system, and I would have to start from scratch if I were to remove myself from this situation. Um, you know, as children, we are often the recipients or the victims of whatever lifestyle our parents live. And um, as a young adult, I was in a situation like that where I was completely dependent on my abuser. And um, in in another season of my life, I... I couldn't just up and leave because, um, you know, there, there's lots of dynamics at play. And in addition to that, um, you know, as, as Mars Hill starts to describe the typical narcissist ha does have this Jekyll and Hyde personality. And so on one side, um, you might see like with, with Mark Driscoll, there was this very charismatic leader that um, really engaged and there was fruit and there was people that had been recipients of um, this dynamic gifting that he had. But then the flip side of that is there was people that were really suffering at the hands of his abusive temperament. And so I think we have to look a little bit deeper than just what the face value is of this. Um, you know, one of the things I have said over and over as we have started to see some of these things coming out in the open is, you know, we have to start looking at the deep seated reasons for this. And I think they mentioned that even in the, in that, that podcast, like what is it about our culture that is allowing this to keep happening? And I'm not saying just in the church, but I'm saying in general, um, we elect narcissistic leaders as a society. And, uh, we just saw one fall this week. Um, you know, at the, at, as the results of an investigation and there was allegations of sexual abuse, um, we tend to promote the narcissistic guy to CEO. Why? Um, well, because they get a lot of stuff done. They, they work in a high capacity and we have a tendency as a culture to look at that as a value 
yet we're not examining the ways that they got there. You know, if you have two individuals, if you have me and you have a, a narcissistic individual, both in the same organization, but I treat people with kindness and respect, I'm not going to get as far as the guy that's stepping on everybody else's head to get to the top. That's just the reality of it. And because that that narcissistic temperament doesn't have that remorse or that that heart for people in the same way, it's a very self-centered uh, way of thinking, they, they don't care about those things. So naturally, they're going to go farther. Now, do we recognize that that person is higher up the chain, higher up the food chain? Absolutely, we recognize that and we assign a value to that. Um, the value isn't assigned to the person that did it ethically and fairly and it took 20 years instead of two years. Um, that's not the way it works in our culture. But yet, why why do we allow that? I think that's kind of some of the things that I think we need to examine instead of just sitting there and pointing fingers. I think one of the comments that I heard this week was, well, you know, you know, there, there just wasn't good accountability. Um, and you know, if I was there, I would have, I would have pointed it out. Listen, I'm a truth teller and a, a justice warrior. And there have been scenarios in my life where either I couldn't speak out or I didn't speak out because I didn't want the abuse that would come as a result. That's just the reality of it. I remember when I was a kid, my brother was getting beat, the snot beat out of him. And he did it. it he was getting in, in trouble for something I did. But I didn't say anything because if I spoke up, then that would be my punishment. And so I let him take it. Was it right? No. It was self-preservation. And I think unless you've lived in those kinds of scenarios, you don't get it. I had, I had actually spoke to somebody this morning and she said, well, you know, people that don't live it, don't get it. And, you know, I've almost had two is it's almost like two threads of responses this week to, to people or the last month or so, I guess, as people have been listening to these episodes coming out, I'd say this week because the last one came out this week, the last episode, but, um, just almost like two, two steady streams of thought. One is, oh, that's terrible, and this is fascinating, and I had no idea this kind of stuff happened within the church. That, in some ways, I'm really glad to hear that because it means you're in a healthy church probably, or at least it's been healthy enough that you haven't seen behind the behind the curtain to, to see some of the things that goes on in churches. But um, anybody that has been raised by a narcissist or has been involved with a narcissist or an unhealthy person in their life, um, they, they, they say, yeah, I get it. I get it. And it's, it's not just them. It, it's all over America. I, I will say, um, I, well, I went, I'm back in school and seminary again, because I'm just, I, I love to learn. And so, um, in one of my classes this week, we were talking about this and, um, probably 20 or 30 people were on the call over half of them, and these are people from all over the world. I'm talking other countries, other parts of the U.S. They said, yeah, you know what? I went through something similar. And I was so shocked by that because they, they weren't large churches. Not all of them. Some of them were. Some of them were really small churches. Um, but it's evidence that this is a phenomenon that's happening in our country or within the church that we don't talk about. And so if we don't talk about it, how, how are we going to heal from it? You know, early on in 
beginning of the pandemic, one of the things that God had revealed to some of the people that work in, you know, they have the the prophetic giftings. Um, and it's something that I shared. We, we were doing, uh, when all the churches were closed down, we were doing church on the lawn here at our house. And it's something I shared with, uh, with our people here is there was just this sense that there was something coming that would start to reveal the bedrock. And what I mean by bedrock is if you imagine standing at the beach along, you know, the ocean, along the coast, if you were to look down and watch as the water washed away what was there, of course, at first you have the white fluffy sand that looks really good. And a little bit deeper, you have the darker sand. And a little bit deeper, you have the, the, the pebbles or the rocks, or whatever you want to call them. A little bit deeper than that, eventually, you get to the bedrock, the foundation that's there. And so in this prophetic uh, word that was shared at the beginning of the pandemic, it was talking about how this pandemic was going to act as a catalyst to strip away everything but the bedrock. And in that process, what was going to happen is there was going to be revealed what people were standing on. The people that were standing truly on the rock, which is Jesus, would still be there because they would have something to stand on. But the people that were standing on just sand, it it was going to start to reveal the things that were hidden beneath the surface. Because, again, even in this bedrock, as things are exposed, all sorts of things start to come up. And if you think about the ocean analogy, there's crabs and there's, you know, sea snails and there's sand fleas and all sorts of things that, that are revealed. There's things that are hidden underneath the surface when it's covered with that sand. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what we're seeing happening. And it's hardly a week goes by before we hear another story of another mega church pastor losing his crap over something, whether it's sexual, sexual abuse allegations or hiding up s- secret sin or different churches dissolving because of leaders just um, not being able to handle the, the pressure of the pandemic. Um, there are some churches that are growing. And growing in new, you know, assuming new campuses or um, we've had, we did a church plant, obviously the, the church on the lawn uh, started it. We did not plan that and um, did not anticipate that happening, but God seed saw fit to kind of do something in the midst of that. That's a story for a different day, but um, we're seeing a, a healing through the worship. And so that was the second part of that um, prophetic word was that there would be a new sound coming that would usher in worship in a new way, probably unlike anything we've seen in our generation. And I think throughout history, throughout church history anyway, what we have statistically and historically seen is after a great trial, whether it was the Spanish flu or a war or um, some sort of shared trauma as a culture, the response to that has been a revival and some of the great moments of church growth throughout church history. And so What my sense is, and I've been saying this over and over again, is that we are in a season where God is revealing so he can heal. He's revealing those hidden things that have been hidden for a long time so that he can heal. 
I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in the life of my colleagues. I've seen that in the life of my professors and my uh, fellow students. I have seen that in the life of these some of these megachurch pastors that are that are falling. Things that have been hidden for years and years are are being revealed. Um, we're starting to see that over and over. And I and I think there's evidence there that this is not local to our region. This is not even just within the body of Christ. I think we're really in a space of God doing something in a way that's going to propel a movement. Um, I think this goal of revealing is ultimately so he can heal. Um, there's a very real trauma. And this is one of the things that they said in this podcast that I think that was um, something I, I wanted to speak on a little bit. There's a very real trauma that comes from systems that are like this. Spiritual trauma. That is not something that we talk about very often. Trauma is, again, another one of those buzzwords, which I hate because trauma is something that can destroy lives. Um, and I guess I'm glad in the sense that it's getting the word out and people are understanding that there is um, a lot of reasons and dynamics that go into creating somebody's uh, mental and emotional and spiritual life. But spiritual trauma is one of those things that, that we don't talk about at all. Really, I mean, even when I was looking for resources on it um, for a class, there was very little that w we could find on it. Um, some of my professors have actually written books on it because there's not a lot out there. However, spiritual trauma is a little bit different than other kinds of trauma because, like in the example of Mars Hill, they talked about how, as the man of God, if you doubted him, then you were put in this category of doubting God. And while there is an element of that, for sure, I mean, God ordains our leaders and, and places them above us. They're not Jesus. They're human. Which means that they are very susceptible to sin. And I, and I think one of the dangers of the platform building church model where it becomes about the brand of the pastor versus, um, you know, acting like Jesus. It becomes more about the, the platform building and the brand. What we saw with Mark Driscoll and what we've seen with some of these other leaders is they are propelled to a place because of their charisma, because of their natural ability and talent, they are propelled to a place that their character cannot sustain them. And that is something that we've heard a, a lot in the, in the last couple of years, year or two, about um, some of these leaders are falling because they're, they, they've been propelled and growth, grown to a place where they, they can't sustain that. Um, but I, I also think that there's this sense that God can work in those broken places. And that's one of the things that the Mar Mars Hill talks on. And I think, um, I think back throughout my life in seasons where I was really broken, really broken because of the different individuals in my life. Um, and some of the abuse that I suffered, but I still can look back and see God's hand. I, I was called into ministry at the age of 15. I lived in a very broken space at that point, but I met the Lord at that age. And I felt the call to full-time ministry at that age. And I saw God do some amazing things despite the brokenness that I was living with. And so 
just because some something is broken doesn't mean that God can't work in the midst of that. I, I think in the case of narcissism and trying to understand this, and I'm trying to remove myself from this personal application to perhaps somebody that has not lived this. There is a disconnect between the abuse and the abuser. And I, and what I mean by that is there's typically like a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. So um, somebody, you know, the, the famous CEO that, you know, is found out to have, you know, hidden sin in his life or, or whatever it is. Um, he was really good at his job, but he also had this other thing that was really terrible. I think that's what happens because narcissists have this tendency to have a very engaging uh, personality and presence. And I think for all three in my life, people would not believe what was going on behind closed doors. I mean, they do have this track record of success and they rise to the top. And there's just this sense of, well, you know, they, they can't be that bad if, if they're able to, you know, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get to the top. And while that's true, I think there's a season of that fruitfulness, but eventually what's going to happen is we're going to see really what's there beneath it all when we hit moments like the unpredictable pandemic where the stress of that revealed so many things about the foundation of, of where people were standing. So I think um, one of the things that they point out that was really relevant was they said some people saw the bad because they were living it, but it was happening simultaneously because you could have very different experiences depending what part of the orbit you were in. And so I, I think that really relates to, I wish they would have, this is why I'm doing this podcast, because I wish they would have talked more about narcissism itself in, in light of this scenario. Um, depending on where you're at in the orbit of the narcissist himself d- determines what your experience is. And so those things can happen very simultaneously. You know, the the abusive husband could be charming and engaging and lovely to the cashier at the store and then get in the car and smack the wife in the face or degrade her um, within seconds. And it's that, that cashier would never suspect that of that husband, but yet that wife's experience is vastly different than what everybody else experiences or the, you know, the, the professional that is engaging and gets the promotion at work and pleases all the clients can behind closed doors be really abusive to the, to the family at home. That that's the reality of it. And so those things happen simultaneously. So when people say, well, I can't, you know, I can't believe that, you know, he was such a, you know, Mark was doing such good, amazing things. Um, he, he was, but that doesn't disregard 
the people that experience something different. And I think that is something that we have to be really conscious of um, in, in all of our experiences with people that are trying to share the abuse that they have suffered. Because the tendency is to say, well, number one, what do we, what, what do we hear all the time? Victim blaming. Well, what did you do to make him hit you? Or um, we hear things like, well, surely he can't be that bad because he really helped me. Or I, I've known him for a long time. It really, it really can't be that bad. Um, that, that temptation to not believe the accuser is deep-seated, but that's the thing that we need to stand up against. Because as the body of Christ, things will not get better if we continue to cover. Things are only going to get better if we expose. There is a cycle that the narcissist goes through. But one, and we'll get into that. I I don't think that's going to be today. I think it's going to be a different episode. But one of the aspects of that narcissistic cycle, part of what feeds that um, power and control wheel is what's called the narcissistic supply. And so if you've never heard of that, a narcissistic supply is the individual that the narcissist abuses to feel fulfilled with their own emotions. And so Actually, somebody explained it to me like this, a brilliant uh, counselor that I was seeing. She said, you know, we're all ones. Imagine we are all ones as we go throughout our lives. And if you're healthy, you're one. But if you've been damaged or hurt or broken in any way, then you're probably more like a half. Depending on the level of abuse or damage, you might be three quarters or a quarter. But, you know, say, say for illustration purposes, you're a half. Some people, the narcissist particularly, they, in order to feel like a one, they have to go take a half from somebody else. And so pretty soon, they take their half from somebody else, and now they feel like a one. But guess what? It doesn't stop there, because they feel so good as a one. Well, what if I could be a two? So they take a half from somebody else, and a half from a third person. And pretty soon, this guy's out of five, And everybody else in his circle is at a half. That's what narcissism feels like. That's 100% what it feels like. And so part of coming out of the narcissistic abuse cycle is learning how to take your half back. How to be be a one and how to guard it so nobody else takes it from you. And those are things like boundaries and saying no and... You know, and we'll get into that, I think, in a, in a different episode. Um, how we get there is a little bit different for everybody. But it's not automatic. And especially when you're talking a leader in your life, whether it's a boss or a church leader or somebody you just admire or respect or a parent, um, if there's that narcissistic tendency, well, the default position is to remain a half because they're an authority over you. And so what we have done is we've created this culture where there's so many of us walking around as a half, we don't have the energy to even stand up to the sixes. It's impossible. And so we've created this culture that not just created this dynamic, but that supports it and tolerates it. And so how do we get out of that? One of the things that was said 
that I found particularly disturbing in this first episode of this series was this talking about a pile of dead bodies lining up behind the bus. And so the bus metaphor, if you're not familiar, the bus metaphor is you got to get the right people on the bus. And so if you are a leader and you're driving a bus and you need a team to, to propel your vision, you need a bus. And so full of people and you got to get the right people on the bus. And so that might be your accountant or your, um, HR person or your program leader, or in the case of a church or your, uh, associate pastor, whoever it's going to be. And so in, in the Mars Hill scenario, that was referring to like elders and board members, those kinds of things, church staff. And so one of the things that, that he said, now the healthy model would be if somebody wants to get off the bus, you let them off. But one of the things that he said was you're either on the bus or you get run over by the bus. That is point blank the reality of how narcissists see their lives. You're either with them or you're dead to them. Um, There's this element called narcissistic injury. And it's often coupled with narcissistic rage. And so because the narcissist is so insecure, any shade of rejection, whether it's perceived rejection or actual rejection, results in a rage that immediately cuts you off or cuts you off at the knees. But beyond that, it's, it seeks to kill the relationship in a way that isolates the offender so that the narcissist can be seen as the one that's right in the situation. And so what that might look like is, um, like in this case, you know, the elders, or I, I can't remember, you'll have to listen to it. I, it's either elders or board members, something like that. They approached him as the senior leader with something that they felt just needed resolved. It wasn't, it wasn't adding up. Um, it, it, it really needed hammered out differently. It needed to be uh, some more accountability, that kind of thing. Immediately they were fired. They're either on the bus or they get run over by the bus. And not only were they run over by by the bus, not only were they fired, but then a smear campaign started to isolate them and their families in a way that they no longer had a voice into the situation or wouldn't be believed even if they tried. That is very, very common. Um, In a a marriage relationship, what that might look like is... um, you know, if there's a divorce, like if a, if a, if somebody wants to divorce a narcissistic spouse, well then, um, because of the narcissist's behavior, mind you, um, maybe it's physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, whatever it is, um, justified. And it's probably taken a long time to get to that place. If they try to leave or do leave out for divorce, then all of a sudden, what you will find is a smear campaign that has completely drug that spouse's name through the mud to the point where uh, family members, friends, uh, school teachers, any any kind of relationship that that narcissist has access to uh, will will hear 
this smear campaign where the character will completely be drugged through the mud to the point where if that individual were to speak out against any of those accusations, they would be seen as fulfilling this framework that the narcissist has already, this picture that they've already painted. And so it's, it's, um, sometimes it's called post separation abuse. And, um, you can look up, uh, I think it's called the lemonade stand. Uh, Tina Swiffin, she does a really good uh, graphic on that that explains that really well. Um, Post-separation abuse and what that looks like in a marriage relationship. Um, And actually, I fully recommend all of her books. But anyway, there's just this sense with a narcissistic leader, you're either for me or against me. You're either on the bus or it's not even off the bus. It's you're dead. You're a dead body behind the bus. And my thought on that, as I was hearing them kind of reveal that, I thought, well, what if you're just somebody that's ready to get off the bus? What if you got on the bus and you served on the bus for a long time and then it was just time to get off? God's moving you to a different bus. In in that style of leadership, there's no room for that. Now, the goal should be as much as it hurts the leader to launch people because if we're launching people, we're furthering the kingdom. That's what the goal should be. But instead, you know, Mark's, Mark Driscoll saw that as such an offense that you're, you're now a dead body behind the bus. I think um, that is way too common as a culture. And we don't have good resources for dealing with that. Um, because the people that are on the bus in that kind of situation are often abused. So by the time they get off the bus, um, there's, there's not much left for them to figure out how to be a voice into that situation. Um, and because there's so much of that, it's rampant in organizations, in our culture, there has been almost a tactic that has really worked well to perpetuate this. Um, you know, what we'll see a lot is this insulation from accountability. And so in the, in the podcast, one of the things they talk about is how he as the leader was insulated from any kind of accountability. And it looked like there was accountability. There was an elder board and there was a board of uh, directors or whatever you want to call it, a board, a church board. Um, But yet those people on the board and the elders did not actually have any authority over him as the senior leader. The elders did not have the ability to make decisions that affected him because he had power over them. And then the board really only heard from him. So they really had a skewed sense of what was going on. And then the board and the elders didn't really have access to each other. And so what we saw in that scenario is just this insulation of the senior leader from accountability. And I will tell you, in the last year, of of those people, um, like I said, those people in my class that have experienced something similar, every single one of them said there was no accountability for the leader. And if you think about that in terms of some of these other industries that the narcissist is typically attracted to. Let's take, um, in the medical field, um, 
somebody that owns their own practice, what accountability do they have? I mean, they might have some accountability to the hospital, obviously, you know, they, you know, and the health board, but I mean, if they're a good surgeon or they're a good doctor or they're a good, you know, pediatrician or whatever it is, um, they're, they're going to be really effective at their job. They're going to be highly effective at their job, but yet they could also turn around and be abusive towards their staff. There's a sense of, you know, in, in a, in a school district, maybe, um, you know, there's not checks and balances in a lot of these scenarios in a way that would offer transparency. And I think those, that's one of the key things that we need to look at when we're talking about how to get out from this mess. I think regardless of the system that we're in, whether it's a school system or a medical system or, um, relationships, you know, even in our interpersonal relationships, our romantic relationships, who, who can tell this individual? No, like if, if my husband and I right now, um, if I got a, you know, wild hair at my butt and I wanted to do something besides my husband trying to talk me out of it, I have submitted myself to leadership authority where there are people in my life that would say, hey, that's not a good idea. And if I kept going, there are other people above them that would say, hey, that's not a good idea. We need to, we need to, we need to take another look at this. So I think, um, number one, it's making sure that we ourselves in our personal lives have accountability. Who are the people in our lives that can hold us accountable? Um, a lot of times with narcissists, they're self-employed. They're entrepreneurs because there's, and there's nobody to tell them no. Um, if we're talking about this at a very basic level with our romantic relationships, I think I'm stuck there because I have teenage daughters and we, one of the things we've been um, talking about lately is going through your list. And if you've not done that, uh, I really encourage you to do that, but making a list of all the things that you want and all the things that you don't want in a, in a mate, in a spouse one day, because I really believe that as you're dating, you shouldn't be dating anybody that you couldn't see yourself marrying one day. Um, and so we've been talking about that in, in the context of dating relationships with our daughters, with our teen daughters. And so, um, one of the, that's one of the things that we've asked, like who, who can tell, who can tell him no, what kind of relationship does he have with his parents? with his youth pastor, with his boss, who can tell him no? Because I think as people of faith, we should desire accountability. As followers of God, we should desire accountability because we know that accountability keeps us on the right path. Is accountability fun? No, it's terrible. It sucks sometimes, especially I'm like an impulsive you know, hey, let's just start a podcast or, hey, let's just get on a plane or, hey, let's start, uh, and I don't know, start a outreach organization or, hey, I want to write a book. I'm just a very, I don't want to say impulsive, but I, I don't allow a lot of the what ifs to hold me back. And so sometimes I will get you know, a hair up my butt. I People hate when I say that expression. Give me another expression to use. But, you know, if I get an, a wild idea, um, I need people like my husband that say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's slow the roll a little bit. And, you know, we're good for each other because uh, he has evolved a little bit on that. And he, but then I've also become more cautious over the years. But I think 
you know, we have to be in a, in a place where we have submitted ourselves to an authority of God ultimately, but then also other wise people in our lives. That I think is the primary place to start. And then it goes from there. Um, ourselves, yes, for sure. But then when we are looking at engaging with other relationships in our lives, our workplaces, our places of faith, um, what political stance we're going to take. I think that's one of the key factors we can start to look at is where is the accountability? Because that tells you a lot of not just who they are as a leader, but who's going to offer checks and balances if things start to go right. Because ultimately we're all human. We're all capable of failing. We're all, you know, we're, we're all in a place where we are capable of sin. Ultimately, that's why we need Jesus. And so protecting ourselves and offering ourselves up in the sense of being willing to be accountable is really a way that we need to start. And so my encouragement, I think we're going to start stop there. I have probably a hundred more things that we can talk about today, but my, I think one of the things I'm going to say, and this is kind of how we're going to wrap it up is that, that I, I think the example we see from Mars Hill, you know, one of the things they talk about on this first episode is who, who killed Mars Hill. And they talk about perhaps the answer is all of us. I'm in agreement with that. I think perhaps the answer is all of us. Who who allows for this culture to be perpetuated? Who, you know, the the narcissistic leader is only able to lead because others have given him permission. And so okay, maybe we're not directly involved in the Mars Hill scenario, but we certainly have roles to play when it comes to allowing narcissistic leaders to get to the top. And so if we're going to stop this, if we're going to come from a place of honest desire for healing and reconciliation, both inside the church and out, we have to start identifying ways to move that ship forward. And I think ultimately, primarily, we need to make sure there's accountability. And so that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that over you. I'm going to pray that over me. I'm going to pray that over our leadership. I'm going to be a voice that continues to fight for accountability. And then I think next week what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, the book of Jude, and we're going to look at how this has been a problem for a long time. So if you want to read Jude between now and next week, then we can kind of pick up from here. Um, but let me pray for you. And then as always, if you have questions, um, I probably offended you today and that's okay. Just skip ahead. I'll probably be talking about something easier to listen to in a couple weeks, but, um, I want to hear from you. I, I want, have you, have you walked through this? Have you experienced this? It's, it's a phenomenon. I really have been really amazed at how many people have walked through narcissistic relationships, 
have walked away saying, man, that sucked. That really hurt. I need, I quit or I got out of it or I left that organization or whatever it was. Um, it is, it is phenomenal to me how widespread of a problem this is, but yet we don't want to talk about it. Well, you know what? That's my ammo. I guess I always get in trouble, get myself in trouble for that because I talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about. And I want to talk about them because my goal is to get things out in the open, um, reveal so he can heal. That's really what I think, um, God has really kind of put in me in this season. Um, it's like the wound. If, if you cover up the infection, guess what happens? It's just going to, the infection is going to continue to grow. Instead, we need to scrape it out and we need to get the ointment in there. And is that process painful? Of course it is, but it's the only way we're going to heal. So if I got to be the lone voice (laughs) in my circle of influence, then I will be. Um, But my hope is that you will be too. My hope is that as we discuss some of these things, these hard, hard things, that you will engage in conversations in your circles of influence and you will be the catalyst to expose some of the things uh, in your life. Because when it stays hidden, God can't deal, well, God can deal with it, but it's not going to get dealt with in the same way as if it were revealed. So let's pray. And then please, please, please reach out to me this week. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Father God, thank you uh, so much for Christianity Today and their new podcast, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Church, um, and the way that it examines the reasons why things happen. God, thank you for just this season of revealing things in your timing so that they can heal. God, I thank you that above all, you are sovereign. So Lord, right now I ask for our listeners today that you would help even now to quicken their hearts, to respond to those unhealthy relationships, perhaps for the first time in a new way, that they would see through the things that the enemy has kept hidden and that you would start to reveal things, maybe even in their own lives, in their own relationships, where they can take accountability for their actions or they can seek accountability And they can be aligned in healthy structures and healthy organizations and healthy churches so that we could ultimately do what you have called us to do, to know you and to make you known. God, I thank you for the ministry of podcasting and I thank you for uh, the people that are listening. God, thank you for the opportunity to live in a country that is free and we have the freedom of speech and we can say the things that are in our heart. I I don't take that lightly. So Lord God, we just pray that you would be glorified, that you would continue to reveal the hard things so that we can heal. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, guys. uh, Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. I'm praying for you. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.